I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you're listening to The Catherine Zox Show. Joining me today is author and psychologist Carter Stout, Ph.D. His new book is Lost in Ghost Town, a memoir of addiction, redemption, and hope in unlikely places. Carter Stout's life morphed from self-absorbed rich kid to junkie when he tried crack cocaine for the first time. His identity disappeared along with his grandmother's silver, both sold to support his habit. His intense craving for the euphoric rock landed him in Ghost Town, the dangerous Oakwood neighborhood of Venice Beach, California. He knew his days were numbered. He either had to give up his crack and drug dealing or give up his life. The horrors of how addiction trumped privilege are stark in his vivid memoir, a tale of excruciating truth and visceral fear. He takes us into the incapacitating stranglehold of addiction and his combat zone battle to overcome it. He's now a Los Angeles-based psychologist and therapist to Hollywood's elite. His clientele include Oscar, Golden Globe, Grammy, Tony, and award Emmy winners. Welcome to the show. Nice to have you on, Carter. Thank you so much for having me. It's great to be here. Well, it's great to have you here. Great to have a psychologist here on the show. That's a good thing in these times. So we're, we, have, we have a lot to talk about. Um, I guess I'm, the first question is, I mean, you've written your book. You've written a memoir. You have went through horrific times. You know, you were an addict. Yet somehow you, I'm going to say, emerged unscathed or somewhat unscathed. Um, so this kind of relates to what's happening to all of us now with COVID-19, because that's what yeah. we're all yeah, this is what we're all going to have to do. We're all, you know, so, so get gay, I guess, as your experience as an addict and your experience as a psychologist, tell us how, yeah, fits in with what's happening now. Well, I, um, you know, my history, uh, with addiction was certainly, uh, profound and addiction followed me for, uh, from, many years in my life from about the age, I would say 11 to age 35. And, um, it was always there and I never really addressed it with addiction. I feel, uh, that the oftentimes people experience it because there are other things in their life that are unresolved, uh, deep feelings about themselves, uh, feelings of pain, feelings of, uh, confusion, uh, trauma that is has gone unattended, and that really activates and is fuel for addiction. Um, and that was really the case in, in with me. Uh, but in regards to right now, uh, this virus, unlike addiction, is really something that is here um, not because of our emotional state, not because of how we grew up as children or the relationship we had with our parents or the choices that we've made. It's just here. And so everyone is having to uh, deal with it in their own way. And uh, it, uh, of course, presents a lot of challenges for people. There's a lot of fear that is out there, um, which is understandable, which is very understandable. People are afraid for their jobs. They're afraid for their health. They're afraid for their businesses, um, and um, I. Uh, 
You know, of I want to stop you there because you said something, yeah. Carter, you said something really important. You said, you know, yes, we have the virus and we didn't, we don't have the virus because of our emotional instability. However, I'd like you to answer or address this question, maybe the way in which we handle how we react to the virus depends on our own emotional stability or instability. What kinds of resources, different people bring different emotional resources to to bear on their reaction to this, their resiliency, yes. I guess, is what I'm talking about. Yes. I mean, I, I, I work with, uh, I still have a full, uh, a full clientele um, that I'm working with now, um, and I <clears throat> am trying to instill in them that um, they're, that the human spirit is very strong and that they have the capacity to get through this, and we all do. Um, there are so many inspirational stories that you're hearing about now of people rallying, of people helping, of people creating um, protective equipment for doctors and nurses from their uh, 3D printers, um, people donating their time, people donating their goods, people don donating money. And um, it is uh, nothing that we've seen before in this generation. It's, you know, the, the closest I could equate it to would be uh, <clears throat> uh, this country during wartime or this country during um, the Cold War with the Red Scare in the 50s. And when people, when there was just a, uh, a feeling of fear that was permeating the air, um, and it's fear of the unknown. And um, the unknown scares people because they've never, they, they, they're not, they haven't planned for it. It's something that has shown up. And, and so there's a lot of fear out there. And what I have been trying to instill in the patients that I work with is that um, your responsibility right now is certainly uh, first and foremost to take care of yourself and to take care of your family and to be safe and to follow the CDC guidelines. And then if, you, if there's a, a way that you can certainly contribute to society uh, or culture as a whole uh, to, to entertain that. But first and foremost is if you follow the guidelines that are set out that this uh, situation largely is out of your control. You can control your own environment and be safe in your environment. Be safe with your children. Be safe with your family. And other than that, um, the outcome is something that <clears throat> is unforeseen. And um, I, uh, I feel very calm about it. Um, I feel like fear is psychologically is a narrative that people attach themselves to. And this narrative can replace, be replaced by another narrative. And so I, I, I urge my, the people out there and the people that I work with not to catastrophize and not to think of the worst-case scenarios here. Uh, because when we do that uh, in, in other instances in our life, um, what happens generally is not what we're believing is going to happen. So we don't know. And so try and have a more positive narrative. Try and create a more positive narrative and do that through, you know, for me, uh, with my addiction and anytime there's a difficult scenario in my life, I sort of turn to spiritual measures. And I have my own spiritual practice that I engage in. 
which involves prayer and meditation in the morning. And uh, I find other things that are spiritual, as in, you know, reading um, a good book, um, spending time with my children, going on walks, um, things of that nature. And that really calms me and keeps me centered and tries to keep me present. So my, my uh, encouragement well, I really... I want to interrupt stay- because it's interesting that because different people have different ways, as you've, as you've been talking about, of coping. Uh, yeah. My thing, and you mentioned we don't have control over a lot of this, I try to take control over what I can take control of. You know, you, as you say, mm-hmm. follow guidelines, you know, so uh, physical distancing. But you, what's interesting, and I've always been in a city, um, and now I'm in the suburbs doing the show, and I'm taking my walks, and I notice neighbors ha- gathering in groups of five or six people not taking control over the things they can. For instance, standing six feet apart, that you can do. There's plenty of room to do it here, but yet not. Yeah. So not being, as you say, you can't see the virus. So something that you can't see, it sometimes it's very, you kind of get lulled into it. Maybe not so much in a city, but certainly in the country or in, in the suburbs. Um, so anyway, taking control over what we can take control over. And I think structuring sure. my day is a good thing, trying to uh, maintain some structure, uh, you know, those kinds of things. That- Absolutely. You know, and that, that what you're speaking of is be smart about this. Um, all of the governors around the country are urging people to be smart. Here in California, um, we have a stay at home order. And of course, that's challenging. Uh, in a lot of ways, but it is for the benefit of the people. And social distancing is for the benefit of the people. And it's, it's for your benefit. So don't think that this, this is a highly, highly contagious virus. And people don't show symptoms for many days. So you may think your friend or your neighbor or someone in your neighborhood walking their dog is fine because you've known them all your life, but that just not, may not be the case. So be smart. I know it's uncomfortable and it's strange to see someone that you love and have to keep uh, a distance of six feet away from them. But it is the it's the prudent thing to do. It's the smart thing to do. It's the safe thing to do. And um, the beaches in California, how, how, you know, we at least that's what we see on TV, which is similar to what happened in Clearwater, Florida and Miami. They finally closed all the beaches. But I've seen. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's interesting. You know, I I live in a community in the mountains, in the Santa Monica Mountains, uh, called Topanga Canyon. And uh, there's a hike uh, that I bring my dogs on uh, pretty much daily, or at least since this has come. um, And people have had a stay-at-home order. And last night I went up there, and the park rangers were there, and they closed down the park. Uh, because too many people were gathering there and people were not practicing social distancing. And so I understand their concern. Um, in terms of the beaches, there is a soft closure of the beaches in California. The parking lots to the state beaches are closed, um, but uh, the beaches themselves, I believe, are still open, um, but they're being monitored so that people are not gathering in groups. I believe that they're lifeguards and they're, they're people that are still monitoring them, uh, the sheriff's department, so that if they see people in clusters, they, they will uh, address it. Um, but uh, I, I, 
if you do live in a rural area and there is space for you to go outside and go on walks with, with your children or with your family members, uh, I believe that that's still a positive thing to do um, as long as you are social distancing and keeping yourself safe. Now, if you're going on a hike and the trail is very narrow and you're going to have to pass people, then that's probably not a smart thing. But uh, out here in California, we have these big fire roads that are about 15, 20 feet wide, and you can really walk and keep a safe distance from people. And, um, you know, we don't really know how long this is going to last for. And um, so I believe it's important, as you say, to, to create a schedule for yourself. And part of that schedule can be getting out somewhere, even if it's through the neighborhood, if you're smart in the neighborhood. If you're walking six feet away from people, I have a patient who lives in uh, a pretty crowded part of Santa Monica, but he's still getting out and he's walking and he's keep practicing social distancing and he's wearing latex gloves when he walks and he's wearing a mask. And so there are ways because it, it's, um, it's difficult. It's a difficult thing to just stay indoors for the foreseeable future. Yeah. Um, I have a friend, you know, you talk about wearing a mask, you have to interject a little bit of humor. She said, I look like I'm about ready to rob a bank when I walk out of my house. I yeah, have everyone one. does. Yeah. I know. Yeah. I know. It's extraordinary times right now. Um, <clears throat> I, um, we are uh, such a diverse group of people here in the United States. We are, um, I think that the, that the, uh, spirit of the country is very strong. We are resilient. We have gotten through incredible things. We're going to get through this. We are going to prevail. We are going to get through this. Um, and each one of us individually, it's our role now, as you said, and I mentioned before, to take care of yourself and take care of your family and your loved ones. And what about children? Did you mentioned that you have, I think you said you have two kids. So uh, yeah. these kids kind of, that's a different category of, uh, of people. And uh, you're at home with your children. And so yeah. what can we do for the children to, you know, so that, and, you know, depending on their ages, obviously, because they all respond differently. Um, but so you have that well, kind of, yeah, it yeah. presents its unique set of challenges, right? Because if you're a working family, which I am, uh, my wife is an attorney and she works full time and I'm a psychologist and I'm still working full time and we don't have childcare. So it, 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 it creates uh, a unique <laughs> set of circumstances um, because uh, we have to now work in shifts. And I think that uh, children, uh, my children are young, they're six and three. And they don't, for the most part, really understand what's going on. My three-year-old, it's been very difficult for him, more difficult, I think, than my six-year-old, because he is used to having a routine where he goes to school and he sees his friends every day and he's outside and he's playing. And all of these things have immediately been taken away from him. And he doesn't understand it. And it's really sort of traumatizing to him. Um, and I can see the psychological effects already. He's uh, uh, more prone to having breakdowns and things. And so there are going to be some psychological wounds that are created by this. Um, but we are trying to get him on the iPad 
into chat rooms with his uh, friends at school, and the school is setting up every few days to have um, some things of that nature. Um, you know, previous to this, we were really trying not to have our children on screens because, uh, you know, we believe in reading books in our family and having that shared experience and that computers really, um, you know, uh, can be dangerous uh, for young children to be on uh, for an extended period of time. And um, But right now, because of the extraordinary time, we just have to really modify our belief system and because it's the only way now that they can communicate with friends. And I think it's really important for them to be able to see their friends um, and be in a chat room or on Zoom, uh, listening to a lesson plan, knowing that everyone else is okay, having interaction that way. Um, and that's really what we're doing. We're, we, we've gotten a bunch of puzzles. We're doing puzzles. We're playing games. We are um, reading books. And um, just really muddling along and trying to make it through and figure out a structure and a schedule that works. And yeah, I know I that think many structure families and a schedule there, that works for each family. And as you say, it may be different depending on what you're doing. You have mother and father, sure. you know, whoever <laughs> is there taking care of the children, working at home. Some do go to work, I guess, part time. Uh, but I think these platforms have turned, you know, as you described, you know, we kind of have to take it. At, 180 and are thinking about the kids being online, but I know I have three grandchildren, two twins who are two, and a set of twins who are two and a four-year-old, and the four-year-old's class yeah. actually meets, as you described it, every morning uh, for, yeah. you know, 20 minutes. Everybody reads a story, and uh, yeah. and then he takes a, a dance lesson, actually. He, a teacher who, very entrepreneurial, uh, for, um, teaches wow. her class online, and... Uh, wow. Yeah, so that, yeah. Yeah, it's yeah, really requiring everyone to rethink things. And, and I, um, in, in this extraordinary moment, you know, the, the, I live in Los Angeles and the, um, the, of course, there's a lot of film production out here, which is not happening. And the way that the industry is now um, going to move forward with films is I feel might be shifted forever because I'm not sure if movie theaters are going to survive this um, because I don't think people are going to go to theaters for, for quite some time. And so films are now being released online. Uh, the premieres of films, instead of in theaters, they're going to be released on your cable network or, or online. And that's a big shift. Um, so there are a lot of big shifts that are going to come out of this. Um, that are really moving towards people being able to be more self-contained, which is uh, not necessarily a great thing, but it is just what is happening. And we have to accept it and we have to uh, try and assimilate in a way that we can incorporate these new ways of being into our life and, um, and, and be okay with it because there's no alternative right now. And we have been, but there is no alternative. I think uh, particularly, and they've been criticized for it, are the millennials who are, have been doing this. This is what they do. Um, yeah. They work, yeah, work, working from home and, and communicating from home. So, you know, it's a whole new generation. I mean, your children, my grandchildren, this will define their generation. This is what they, this, this, this is it. 
um, you know, just like World War II defined a generation. But um, I yeah. think one of the good things, you know, and you as a psychologist, um, you can you can work from home. You can see uh, see your patients online. Uh, but this yeah. whole thing. Yeah. And physicians, too, which I think we had just started. Physicians had maybe just begun doing this. But, you know, being able to um, practice medicine online, which is a good yeah. thing. Um, no, it's, and, a, it's a great thing. I mean, fortunately, I am still able to, to work with my patients. Um, and that is, uh, I feel very blessed uh, about that. And I'm able to, as you said, speak to them on the phone or, or see them online. And, um, you know, the, the folks out there that have lost their jobs or are, um, have been furloughed or that their future is very uncertain, you know, I, I would say don't lose hope. Uh, hopefully, uh, the people, your elected officials are going to take care of you. And I really hope that that is, uh, is what comes to pass. And I know that, that the government is working on uh, stimulus packages and bills, hopefully, that are going to address the worker and the small businesses and people that um, have closed down their shops and closed down their restaurants and closed down their hotels and and, you know, my hope is, my real prayer and my hope is that, that you are taken care of. So, Carter, you know, so. as I said in the beginning, because, and I just want to get back, kind of relates to your book. Um, yeah. What about, you know, you're taught, you were specifically talk about your clientele as an elite clientele. You came from an, a, yeah. a back, you know, a very well-to-do background. Mother was a socialite. Yeah. So do you think, so how does that fit in? Do you think that people uh, perhaps who come from similar backgrounds think maybe are, well, you know, we're sort of exempt from this or this isn't, you know, or because, or they don't even, or maybe the opposite is too. They don't really have the, uh, the, maybe some of the inner strengths to cope with the, this kind of a situation. I, you know, well, I, I, I don't, um, in terms of, of my own experience, I did come from an affluent background, but uh, as the book really focus on, it doesn't matter where you come from or if you grow up with money or not money, that addiction is something that will, will find you. And uh, the story of the book really focuses on my friendship with a man who I meet in Ghost Town, which is a neighborhood in Venice, California. We're from different backgrounds, different socioeconomic places, and we're of different races. And uh, but we find similarities in each other, and we become friends. And uh, it's an unlikely friendship. And because of his friendship and love, and that of his grandmother, um, even though we are involved in some nefarious activities and dealing drugs, but it's because of the friendship that I really. Uh, feel accepted and loved and cared for, um, things that I wasn't getting from my own family. And that propels me to want to take care of myself and actually get sober. So it's an, it's an interesting, unique story. Um, in terms of, of people from different walks of life and, and the coronavirus, I feel like, uh, much like addiction, it, this virus doesn't care if you uh, are wealthy if you're homeless, if you are middle class, you know, if you are a doctor or if you are a janitor, it doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't um, discriminate. 
it doesn't discriminate. There's no distinction. And, um, and so there is uh, a commonality with addiction in regards to this. And Let, um, this be our last question. I don't know. We have probably about five minutes left. But what, it, as a, you know, your psychologist, what advice yeah. do you have for couples, you know, who are in the house together or in the apartment together who can't go out? Um, as, mm -hmm. as one colleague of mine did say, you know, I don't know. And this is one of those jokes, uh, you know, um, are we going to kill each other before the virus kills us? Um, even in the mm -hmm. best of relationships. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right. Right. Well, I would say that it's an opportunity for you really to have some breakthroughs right now. Um, most of the time when we're dealt, when we are dealing with a difficult communication issue or psychological issue with our partner, um, we take space from them. You know, we might uh, go uh, and spend some time somewhere else or um, in this instance, there's really no space that can be taken. So what I would advocate for is to really um, try and uh, tune out. Only watch a little bit of television a day if you can. Um, get your news source from whoever you trust. And um, instead of um, the distraction of that, uh, to really try and settle in and be present with your partner. Try to have fun with your partner. Try to do things that maybe you used to do when you had more time. Um, you know, play, uh, play cards, play a game, read to one another. Um, try and ha have an intimate connection. Really um, um, express to your partner uh, how much they mean to you and that you're there for them through this time and uh, be a support system for one another. It's a time, it's, it's really, as I said before, it's an opportunity for you to really uh, gain a closeness that maybe you've lost that once you had with them. Um, and so there are, there are the hidden blessings of this situation. And one of them, as I said earlier, is really to be able to focus on family, to spend more time with family and to, to be present. You know, that, that, if that's the final thing that I can leave with today is that try not to fixate on the future because the future, we, it's uncertain. We don't really know about it. Focus on today. Focus on now. Focus on the hour that you're in. What are you going to do to fill this hour? How are you going to take care of your children? What are you going to do for yourself? What are those healthy things that you can incorporate into your life? And when you call a friend on the phone and, and you talk to a friend, don't fixate on how terrible this situation is. Ask them, you know, about their life. Try and as I said before, incorporate that positive narrative into your life. What, and what one are of the, the things, other things that, that they can do is before they, uh, we're going to have to end the show, but uh, they yeah. can sit down and read a book. That's, that's a good thing to do. Yeah. So I'm going to mention the book that's again, right. Lost can, in Ghost can, Town. You, yeah. you can order my book, um, Lost in Ghost Town uh, from Amazon. It's going to take a little longer these days to get to you because Amazon is prioritizing um, uh, essential goods, um, but you can still get it, and uh, I would love it if you would. It's called Lost in Ghost Town by Dr. Carter Stout, and if you want to find me on the Internet or, or read more about me, I have a website, 
which is www.carderstout.com. Great show. Thank you. And thank you for all the good, really good advice. And uh, thank you so good luck. much. Yeah, yeah. Wonderful. Stay healthy and stay safe. You too. Thank you. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you've been listening to The Catherine Zox Show. 